Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. You tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution Radio! We did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyal? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given rights, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. Okay, welcome to Free Association on this bright, sunny Saturday afternoon for me, morning for you guys probably. It's 4 p.m. in the U.K., in Newcastle, uh, which means it's about 11 o'clock just after 11 o'clock on the East Coast in the States. And uh, I took a break last week because I couldn't get online. So I tried for two hours to get online, and then I finally gave up. So what can you do? Uh, but I had a good night, had a bit of fun, which I'm probably in need of anyway. And uh, it is what it is. I was, I did, I did warn people that I was going to take a couple of weekends off here and there. Um, the technical issues are obviously the times to do that. I'm not going to bang my head against a wall for any more than two hours on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, so I'm taking it fairly easy this, today. I haven't really got a show. got a little bit of a show, but it's, uh, it mostly involves Alexander Mercurius because he's just posted an update about this Wagner group rebellion or treason or whatever you want to call it in, in Russia. A lot of Machiavellian power plays going on. I, I'm not convinced it's a, as big a deal as people are making it out to be. But I could be wrong, of course. I've been known to be wrong before. And I'm no expert, and I'm not claiming to be an expert. But uh, it's interesting, to say the least. Pogosian's been complaining about supplies of weapons and what have you for months and months and months. So this is just an extension of that, I would think. And uh, he's obviously a bit of an egotist, 
a bit of a narcissist. He's got he's got billions in the bank. He doesn't need any of this really. So it's got to be about personal power and, and ego as much as anything else. Uh, whether or not it amounts to anything, I don't think there's any real appetite for a civil war in Russia. They're much more interested in sorting out Ukraine and just getting on with living life, really. It, uh, it really isn't, isn't a, a good time to have a civil war. And everybody, everybody knows it, so they'll just close it down as quickly as possible. And if they need to, they'll just surround him until he until he talks himself out of it, whatever it is he's talking himself into. But anyway, I've got I've got like Alexander Mercurius lined up, so he's posted a forty-five minute report, which I'm going to speed up to one point two five times speed. So it'll last just over half an hour at that speed. Uh, and he's, he, he's, he speaks quite slowly and he's very precise about things. But at this speed, he's, he's almost speaking at a normal pace. So it's interesting. I've listened to most of it. I didn't listen to it all. But uh, this will take us through till about 25 to 20 to 5. And then I'll make something up as I go along from there. So this is Alexander Mercurius. It was posted about an hour ago. About the conflict in Ukraine. Now, I say that because there have been um, quite a lot of information coming out about the conflict in Ukraine. There was a huge missile and drone attack by Russia um, over the course of last night. Of course, all the global attention, all the attention in Russia itself, all the attention in Ukraine is now taken up, is fully absorbed with the events involving Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Wagner Group, even as Prigozhin stages what some people call a mutiny, what Prigozhin himself insists is not a coup in Russia. Now, before I proceed, I would quickly say that one of the reasons I'm not going to talk much about the situation on the front lines is that somewhat strangely, um, things have been actually rather quiet on the front lines over the last few um, hours. That may be coincidence, as the Russians would say, luck, or it might be due to some other reasons. But anyway, I'm not going to devote more time to that. So let's deal with Mr. Prigozhin and what he is doing at the moment. Now, I should say this has not come out of the blue. For months now, Prigozhin has been conducting a very, very public feud with the leadership of the Ministry of Defense, with uh, uh, Shoigu, the Russian Defense Minister, and with Gerasimov, the Chief of the General Staff. And this really all started in February when, when Prigozhin, first of all, began to complain that uh, Wagner wasn't receiving the ammunition supplies that it needed and had been promised in order to carry out the battle of Bakhmut successfully. And then this argument ebbed and flowed. Sometimes it appeared to go to remission. Sometimes it escalated. But the general pattern was for this feud to get worse, for ever more um, critical and indeed sometimes poisonous things to be said on Prigozhin's part. And eventually the situation, as we have seen, has exploded into the vents of the last few hours. And over the last few hours, um, Prigozhin has made some statements which will be seen in Russia, to put it mildly, as deeply controversial. In fact, not just as controversial, 
but as having put him entirely um, on the Western side in terms of the conflict in Ukraine. He made statements to the effect that there was no Ukrainian plan to attack Donbass in February 2022, contrary to what uh, Putin would say. He also said that um, the um, conflict in Ukraine never really existed, that the movement in Donbass for independence wasn't a real one, or words to that effect. Um, he made it appear as if the whole affair had been orchestrated by the Russian Ministry of Defense and various oligarchs in Russia in order basically to plunder the Donbass, and also in terms of the conflict that was triggered, that began in February 2022. He said that all of this happened because Shoigu and the military leadership fooled Putin into thinking that an attack on Donbass was happening and that, in fact, really the whole conflict was staged by Shoigu, who wanted to become marshal, he uh, wanted to be promoted to the rank of marshal. And uh, he also said that it would have been perfectly possible to negotiate with Zelensky, to agree some kind of compromise with Zelensky, and that is what Russia would have done. Now, as is always the way with Prigozhin, he mixes up points which some people might agree with, not everybody, most people, at least in the political system in Russia, probably wouldn't agree with, most commentators wouldn't agree with, but which some people might agree with. But he also makes claims which are demonstrably and obviously false. The idea of Putin, of all people, being led into a war, manipulated into a war, by the leadership of the Ministry of Defense is absurd. And I should say that um, many other things that Prigozhin has also said over the last couple of hours have also been absurd. Um, Simplicius, the thinker, who is more careful in tracking Prigozhin's comments than I am, has pointed out that he's made claims, for example, about the progress of Ukraine's ongoing counteroffensive that are clearly untrue. I mean, he gives the impression, Prigozhin has given the impression, for example, that the critically important town of Tokmak, which is well to the south of where the ongoing fighting has been taking place, and which is heavily defended by elaborate Russian fortified lines, which the Ukrainians up to now have not been able to reach. Anyway, he gives the impression that Tokmak is on the brink of being captured by Ukraine. So he's been saying lots of things, some of them people might agree with, some of them they might strongly disagree with, but as is always the way with Prigozhin, in a way that frankly comes across as wild and incoherent, these comments are submerged in um, a torrent of abuse and falsehoods. And following, or rather in conjunction with all these comments, Prigozhin then published a video which he said showed the results of a missile strike on Wagner forces by the Russian Ministry of Defense. Now, I'm not an expert on videos. I don't actually see anything in this video that would lead me to think that this is the results of some kind of a missile strike. But my opinion, perhaps, is not important in these, issues, in these sorts of matters. Others, notably the Reebok Collective, apparently, have looked at this video and have concluded that this, is, uh, this video doesn't show anything of the sort and is in effect a fake. And someone else who says the same thing is Igor Girkin, better known in Russia as Strelkov, the man who led the um, Russian fighters um, during the fighting in Donbass in the first half of 2014 and who continues to be a hero for many people in Russia, 
but it was also a relentless critic of the Russian Defense Ministry and of its leadership, and to some extent, by the way, of President Putin and of his government. Um, Gyokin, by the way, has clearly said that he uh, strongly opposes uh, Prigozhin's actions. He's actually, in effect, called Prigozhin a traitor. Now, we'll come to that. Treason is a very strong word, but as I said, we'll come to that shortly. Um, in the meantime, Prigozhin um, announced um, that he was going to take measures into his own hands. He was going to clear the mess, as he put it, in the defense ministry. Um, last night, he made a statement that his troops had crossed the state border. Another statement which many people in Russia would take strong issue with, because, of course, what he was referring to as the state border is the border between Donetsk region and uh, Russia, Rostov, Rostov region. And, of course, Russia doesn't consider that any longer to be a state border because as of the decisions that were taken last autumn, as far as the Russians are concerned, Donbass, the Donetsk region, is now an integral part of the Russian Federation. Anyway, Prigozhin made that announcement and over the next few hours, sure enough, armoured vehicles from the Wagner Group began to appear in Rostov, the city of Rostov, where they appear to have encircled, though apparently not captured, the headquarters of the Russian military forces um, in this part of the conflict zone. Now, to my knowledge, by the way, the headquarters of the overall Russian military grouping, uh, which has been conducting this war, is located in Rostov, and it could be that this is the building that, as I said, Wagner forces have tried to encircle. But anyway, uh, for the record, it seems as if that headquarters is still functioning, and um, it also seems as if there's been no real actions um, on the front lines, no, no sign, at least up to now, of any real slackening in Russian military activity on the front lines, which might plausibly have been caused by a disruption to their headquarters. But anyway, then uh, we've had pictures of uh, Prigozhin having what looks like an argument, a rather heated exchange with a senior Russian military official, the deputy defense minister, presumably somebody either sent to meet him or perhaps already in Rostov. And um, Prigozhin uh, is insisting at this point on a personal meeting with Shoigu, the Russian defense minister, who he supposedly wants sacked. And then we've had further reports of Ukrainian, uh, of rather of uh, Wagner troops, of this convoy of Wagner troops moving into Voronezh region. It's difficult to get an accurate picture of how large this movement actually is. There's lots of varying claims from 50 to 17 vehicles. But anyway, um, that this, this um, convoy has apparently moved into Voronezh, um, into Krasnogadar region as well, and that they're trying to advance towards Moscow, which, by the way, is 700 kilometers away. Meanwhile, the, Russians have, the Russian authorities have issued an arrest warrant for Prigozhin. He's been charged with trying to foment an armed uprising, and um, they appear to be taking steps both to secure Moscow itself, and also uh, they've been carrying out raids on his Prigozhin's offices in St. Petersburg and in other cities. And over the course of the following hours, there has been a cascade of, of statements by senior Russian officials, pretty much every regional governor, every senior Russian official one can think of who wants to speak about this matter, but they've all been coming out um, saying that they oppose Prigozhin's actions and that they continue to support the legitimate authority, the legitimate government 
which is based in Moscow. And one does get the sense of a political rallying around, uh, um, in, around um, the, the authorities in Moscow and around President Putin in particular. And there have also been statements by senior officials of the Russian military high command. So that General Surovikin, who uh, Rigozhin has at times sought to play off uh, against uh, Shoigu and Gerasimov, he's sometimes spoken about Surovikin as if Surovikin was some sort of friend. Anyway, Surovikin issued a televised statement in which he called on these Wagner troops to turn back. Um, incidentally, and in passing, Surovikin also said that he'd returned, not exactly where to, but that he'd returned to deal with the situation from the front lines, which reinforces my long-held belief that despite the uh, reshuffle that took place some months ago, when General Gerasimov, the chief of the general staff, was appointed overall commander, Surovikin remains the person in actual charge of the fighting of the Russian troops in um, in Donbass, sorry, in the, in the conflict area. But, you know, I don't want to spend too much time talking about that. But anyway, so far, uh, and I have to say this, it looks as if it's looking increasingly as if Prigozhin is increasingly isolated. He's got some support, clearly, from the Wagner group. He's undoubtedly forged very strong links with the fighters. As I said, his constant um, visits to the fighters on the front lines would have bound them in a deep, created a deep sense of loyalty between them and him. So some of them are prepared to follow him in this escapade. But wider Russian society is not. The military continues to accept the leadership of President Putin and of the um, structures of the Russian Defense Ministry. Uh, the government, the civil, uh, the civil bureaucracy, the governors, all those people, they also continue to function and take their instructions from Moscow, from Putin, and importantly, through his actions and through his statements, Prigozhin has now lost the support of many of the people who had up to now been sympathetic to him because of their feelings that he was in fact um, hard done by, by the Ministry of Defence and their feeling that um, Shoig their, their own feelings that Shoigu and uh, Gerasimov were not up to the job and should have been replaced by other people. But if one looks at, as I said, at people like Girkin, if one looks at people like Geras, uh, uh, like, sorry, like uh, Kadyrov, who's now issued a very strong statement critical of Prigozhin, if one looks at um, the Rebar Collective, which has made criticisms of the Russian Ministry of Defense as well, well, I think without exception, that entire community of war correspondents, bloggers, all of those people, have closed ranks with the Russian authorities and are opposing Prigozhin. So he's left by himself. He's still trying to apparently advance his troops towards Moscow. He's still issuing defiant statements. But given his isolation within wider Russian society, given the fact that there's some indications now that civilians in Rostov are starting to come out and criticize and abuse some of the Wagner troops who are stationed there. I think it is only a matter of time before this thing fizzles out. And one of the factors that will undoubtedly facilitate that is a statement that has been made by President Putin and which has now appeared on President Putin's website. 
and it's fairly short, but I will read it out in full, and we see that it shows Putin in a completely uncompromising mood. And Putin said the following, I am addressing citizens of Russia, the personnel of the armed forces, law enforcement agencies and security services, and the soldiers and commanders who are now fighting in their combat positions, repulsing enemy attacks and doing it heroically. I know this as I spoke once again with the commanders of all sections of the front line last night. So Putin telephoned all the commanders. He wanted undoubtedly to make sure that this mutiny was not supported by any commanders, and it clearly isn't. And they all reassured him that the situation on the front lines continues to be under control. And then he goes on to say, I'm also addressing those who were dragged into this criminal adventure, notice the word criminal, through deceit or threats and pushed onto the path of a grave crime, an armed mutiny. Today, Russia is waging a tough struggle for its uh, future, repelling the aggression of, and he now refers to people who are followers of the extremist ideology that existed in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. Apologies for the euphemisms, but I've noticed that YouTube has been taking an even greater interest in my programs than it usually does. So I'm going to be very careful, as always, in my choice of words. Anyway, repelling the aggression of such people and their patrons. The entire military, economic, and informational machine of the West is directed against us. We are fighting for the lives and security of our people, for our sovereignty and independence, for the right to be and remain Russia, a state with a thousand-year history. This battle, when the fate of our nation is being decided, requires consolidation of all forces. It requires unity, consolidation, and a sense of responsibility. And everything that weakens us, any strifes that our external enemies can use and do so to subvert us from within, must be discarded. Therefore, any actions that split our nation are essentially a betrayal of our people, of our comrades in arms, who are now fighting at the front line. This is a knife in the back of our country and our people. A stab in the back. Others have been talking about this in the same way. Very potent language here. Talk about criminality. Talk about a stab in the back. Talk about seeking to create divisions in society. And then comes a very important paragraph. A blow like this was dealt to Russia in 1917, when the country was fighting in World War I. But the victory was stolen from it. Intrigues, squabbles, and politicking behind the backs of the army and the nation turned into the greatest turmoil. The destruction of the army and the collapse of the state and the loss of vast territories ultimately leading to the tragedy of the Civil War. So he is conjuring the memory, the spectre of 1917. Now, there's some dispute as to exactly who he's referring to in this statement and which events he's referring to. It's been suggested, you know, had an email from a most eminent person that, in fact, he's referring to the events of October or November 1917. In other words, the Bolshevik seizure of power. I tend to think he's talking about the earlier events which took place in February 1917 when the Tsar was forced to advocate. He talks about intrigues, squabbles, and politicking behind the backs of the army and the nation. And then he says that that turned into the greatest turmoil, which is the October Revolution, the, the destruction of the army, and the collapse of the state, and the loss of vast territories, including ultimately leading to the tragedy of the Civil War. Well, that's what I think, but really, at this point, I don't think it greatly matters whether he's talking about February 1917 or about October 1917. What he's telling Russians is this is a dangerous moment 
somebody is trying to create, there's divisions amongst us, somebody's trying to create a kind of civil war situation. We simply cannot afford that at this time. We are at war, and this is a stab in the back, and it's risking everything. We risk everything if we allow this to succeed. And then he stresses the point further. Russians were killing Russians, this is about the civil war, and brothers were killing brothers, while all sorts of political adventurers and foreign forces profited from the situation by tearing the country apart to divide it. Now, political adventurers might refer to Lenin and, he, and the Bolsheviks, but of course, again, Putin isn't being precise, and of course he doesn't want to be precise, because he wants everybody to consolidate behind him. And of course, he doesn't want to annoy the communists, who are a significant force within Russian society and a patriotic force, which has supported him in general over this war at this particular time. But then he goes on to say, we will not allow this to happen again. We will protect our people and our statehood from any threats, including from internal betrayal. And he then goes on to say, what we are facing is essentially a betrayal. Inflated ambitions and personal interests have led to treason. And that is clearly a reference to Prigozhin. And when he talks about inflated ambitions and personal interests, what he's saying is that Prigozhin has placed his own grievances against the Russian Defense Ministry, his own grudge against Shoigu, above everything else. And this is a reflection of his inflated sense of his own importance. And this has led to treason. Treason in extremely strong words, as I said before. Treason against our country, our people, and the common cause, which Wagner Group soldiers and commanders were fighting and, di fighting and dying for, shoulder to shoulder, together with our, our, our other units and troops. Now, notice, again, the word treason. Um, Rigozhin, for the moment, isn't being, as a, isn't being investigated for treason. He's being investigated for planning an armed uprising. But from the look of this, it could be that more serious charges are coming, and I suspect that they are. Anyway, he then goes on to say, this is now addressing directly Wagner troops, the heroes who liberated Solidar and Artyomus, towns and villages in Donbass, fought and gave their lives in Novorossiya and the unity of the Russian world. Their memory and glory have also been betrayed by those who are attempting to stage a revolt and are pushing the country towards anarchy and fratricide and ultimately towards defeat and surrender. And that's, again, a clear reference to Prigozhin. So Prigozhin's actions are putting Russia at risk of defeat and surrender. Very strong words, and that's why I say it again. This does point eventually, so it seems to me, to treason charges. And then he goes on to say, once again, any internal revolt is a deadly threat to our statehood and our nation. It is a blow to Russia, to our people. Our actions to defend the fatherland from this threat will be harsh. All those who have taken consciously the chance, the path of betrayal, planned an armed an arm mutiny, and taken the path of blackmail and terrorism, terrorism, another very strong word, will inevitably be punished and will answer before the law and our people. And then he says that the armed forces and other government agencies have received the necessary orders. Additional counter-terrorism measures are now in effect in Moscow, the Moscow region, and several other regions. Resolute action will also be taken to stabilize the situation in Rostov. On Don, it remains difficult. In effect, the work of civil and military authorities has been blocked. 
And so he's given instructions, in effect, to the Russian Defense Ministry, the other internal security agencies, and the government to quash what he clearly regards as a rebellion, a treasonous rebellion against Russia. And he goes on to say, as the President of Russia and Supreme Commander-in-Chief, and as a citizen of Russia, I will take every effort to defend the country and protect constitutional order, as well as the lives, security, and freedom of our citizens. Those who staged the mutiny and took up arms against their comrades, they have betrayed Russia and will be brought to account. I urge those who are being dragged into this crime not to make a fatal and tragic mistake but make the only right choice to stop taking part in criminal activities. I am certain that we will preserve and defend what we hold dear and sacred, and together with our motherland, we will overcome any hardships and become even stronger. Now, this speech of Putin's, and the fact, as I said, that Russian society, the government, the bureaucracy, the military, the security services, are consolidating around Putin, or at least that is the overwhelming impression as of this time, and the fact that Putin is taking this uncompromising position. In my opinion, they do Prigozhin's entire operation. Um, he is, as I said, isolated. Um, sooner or later, um, I suspect some of his supporters will start to peel away from him as they begin to sense that this isn't going to go anywhere. He's not in a position to take on the entire Russian military and the entire Russian state. He's already said that he doesn't want to carry out a coup himself. Um, it seems to me that this affair will eventually, at some point, probably over the next couple of days, burn itself out. How has it happened? How did it come about? Well, I have already spoken about the fact that this feud between Prigozhin and the Ministry of Defense was real and has been escalating, has been escalating for a long time. It wasn't an exercise in psyops or four-dimensional chess or anything like that. But I suspect that the event that has probably precipitated this is that, a is that apparently the Russian Ministry of Defense has imposed a deadline requiring all private military companies, so-called, conducting operations in the conflict zone, including Wagner to sign contracts with the Russian Ministry of Defense by the 1st of July. And probably Prigozhin felt that if he was maneuvered into signing, if Wagner were to sign such a document, he would lose control of Wagner. And there would probably be warnings that if this signature wasn't received, the Russian Ministry of Defense would itself take action. So Prigozhin has probably reacted to this by taking this extreme and reckless and frankly dangerous and stupid step that he has taken. Now, there are other theories. If you follow the British media as I do, you will know that for weeks and months there have been predictions in parts of the media, especially the Daily Telegraph, that there would be some kind of uprising in Russia, that the, the Prigozhin and the, the Wagner group might try some kind of coup in Russia. And obviously people in Russia read this, they take into account that all of this is happening whilst Ukraine is conducting its offensive and inevitably there are some people in Russia who are putting two, to, two together and are saying that Prigozhin has been put up to do this by the West. Now I've seen no evidence of this at the moment and I'm not going to assume that. 
But I will say that Prigozhin's statements in which he seemed to support the Western narrative about the conflict in Ukraine cast doubt on the legitimacy of the movement in the Donbass, questioned the entire rationale upon which the war started in February 2022. Well, all of that, of course, has strengthened those beliefs that are now becoming widely circulated within Russian society. Anyway, what, a, what is the effect of all this going to be? Well, I think at one level, um, it's probably not going to have a huge effect. It doesn't seem as if, as I said, it's affecting, at least up to now, the performance of the Russian military, military on the front lines. I suspect that with the Russian, within the Russian regular army, Prigozhin hasn't had many friends for a very, very long time. And I suspect that many Russian soldiers, like Putin himself, will feel betrayed by the action that he is taking. And it could be, and I think it is very likely, but just as de Gaulle emerged strengthened after the attempt of parts of the French military and the so-called OAS to launch a coup against him in France in the early 1960s, from memory I think it was in 1962, so I think potentially it could be that Putin might actually emerge strengthened from this affair as well. And anyway, this ongoing boil of Prigozhin and of the Wagner group will finally be lanced. But it must be said that in international terms, in reputational terms, for Russia, for Putin, this has been a disaster. Um, it's going to reinforce belief amongst Western governments that the political system in Russia is extremely fragile and that there are tensions within Russia and that a coup might happen at any time and that Putin's position is far from secure or stable. We see that there's already been articles to this effect in the British media and the people who've been writing those articles and, who, and the people who inspired those people to write those articles will now feel vindicated and strengthened in those beliefs and that will make them more determined to continue to support Ukraine through this war. But perhaps even more damaging is the effect this is going to have on Russia's friends. Governments like China, India, Iran, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Brazil, South Africa, they're all going to be saying to themselves, how stable is the government in Russia actually? How strong is Putin's real position? We've worked with him up to now. We've done so because we believe that he is in stable and secure control of the country. But what if he is not? What if all that was an illusion? The fact that there's been this armed uprising within Russia might in fact point to a different conclusion, that the political situation in Moscow is unstable and that this is an unstable and volatile country and one therefore that we want to keep at arm's length. Now, if that opinion starts to take hold, then I am afraid it will not be a good, a, a, a good turnout for Russia. And I predict that over the next few days and hours, on top of everything else, Putin and his foreign uh, ministry officials, his diplomats, Lavrov, all of the others, will be beating the phones, talking to various leaders around the world, Xi Jinping, Modi, Erdogan, Raisi in Iran, MBS in Saudi Arabia, Lula in Brazil, reassuring them 
that they do in fact have the situation in Russia under control. Now, in order to make that stick, they do need to bring the situation in Russia visibly under control. Now, up to this point, they've been very keen to try to avoid, I think, any actual resort to violence. But if this continues, if this is prolonged, they may have no choice but to take firm action to bring it under control. And that could involve military action against the Wagner forces that are supporting Prigozhin in this affair. So this is a complicated, difficult, extremely messy situation. And I'm going to say again that it has arisen, not because Wagner is um, a force on its own, but because, in my opinion, the Russian authorities ultimately cut Prigozhin far too much slack. They allowed him to criticize, complain about them, and make incredibly offensive comments about the leadership of the Russian Ministry of Defense, to say things that were increasingly untrue about the state of the Russian army. By the way, I suspect that another thing that has needled Prigozhin into this action is precisely that he feels probably alarmed by the fact that the Russian army on the battlefronts is performing far better than he'd led people to believe, and he might have felt that his moment, therefore, is passing if there is a Russian military victory, which people like Shoigu and Gerasimov end up taking credit for. But anyway, with all of that, as I said, it has been a disastrous affair, and as I said, Putin will have to bring it finally to a complete and public end. I hope and expect and imagine that the Russian authorities will have learnt their lesson and that they will run a much tighter ship in terms of the overall conduct of the war in future and that the kind of gross insubordination that Prigozhin has engaged in will not be tolerated. Now, I will say that whilst the Russians are dealing with this crisis in Russia with Prigozhin, there's been some rather tantalizing hints that not all is entirely well in terms of the Ukraine command. I'm not going to return to the topic of what has happened to General Zaluzhny and Budanov. As I said, Budanov is clearly well. Um, he's given a video recently. Zaluzhny clearly is not dead, as contrary to what some people still insist on saying. He also appeared in the video. But it's certainly the case that in Zaluzhny's case, he's not actually provided being uh, very visible publicly. And I noticed that the Guardian yesterday published a lengthy interview with General Sierski, the commander of Ukraine's ground forces. And I have to say, I came away very strongly with the impression that it is General Sierski who is now in actual command of the Ukrainian armed forces, and that um, Zaluzhny has in some manner been shunted aside. Now, saying all of that, I don't want to make comparisons between the situation that we see developing in Russia with Prigozhin and what's happened to Zaluzhny and Sierski. It's clear that in Kiev, Zelensky is in control. At this moment, one can't say the same about Putin in Moscow. But anyway, I just thought I would throw that in because I did think it was tantalizing. Anyway. All right, that was... 
That was Alexander Mercurius. It was posted about an hour ago. So it's literally hot off the press. And uh, he did a, a comment piece with the Duran earlier this morning, which I, I listened to, which I'm going to play a piece of as well, just because that'll complete the show. So this is only about 20 minutes. I should be able to get about 15 minutes of it in. And it'll, it'll kind of round, round everything out. Okay, Alexander, we are live. Let me just... Well, I'm going to skip the first five minutes because it's always a bit uh, slow to get going. And I'm going to play at one and a quarter speed. See how much we can get in. Oh, is it going to be... Uh... Uh, Georgia, it looks like uh, the second yeah. front is, yeah. is happening somewhere in on the road from Rostov to Varone. Uh Alexander, I'm just going to give you a couple of very quick takes. Thank you, Dana, for, for that uh, super chat. Thank you guys for all your insightful comments. Dan, yeah. Dan thank you for your insightful commentary. Thank you, Dan, for, uh, for yeah. that. Um, look, uh, this is not a coup in my opinion. Yeah. It's a Putin gave a speech. He said he's treason. Whatever relationship Putin had with Prigozhin, if they were friends or not friends, whatever it is, Putin has no choice. Mm. He has to. Uh, he has to deal with this. He's going to have to deal with this in a very severe manner. That's that's my take after hearing his speech. It looks like the Russian leadership is closing ranks around uh, Putin. Obviously, mm. he has an eighty percent approval rate rating. Mm. Kadyrov has come out with a statement fully supports the government. He said this is this is a treacherous event. This is treason or mm. uh, a stab in the back. I think Kadyrov said. Yeah. Maria Zaharova. She has called for unity uh, in these moments. Mm. Uh, many other. Uh, yeah. Uh, officials and governors of, of various regions, they're all uh, supporting Putin. Uh, you know, the, what Prigozhin has done uh, is, is a gift to the collective West. And I think that's going to be the main takeaway of all of this. When all of this is said and done, this was a gift to the collective West. It's going to probably uh, lead to uh, the, the Zelensky regime getting more money and more weapons. I don't even know if they have to do anything now before the NATO meeting on July 11th. They've already got their, their talking point. They've got their distraction. Uh, this, this entire conflict from 2014 and even, even before yeah. that has always been about regime change in Russia. And uh, with this action for Prigozhin, in my opinion, this is just now emboldened uh, Newlands, Sullivan's, Blinken, Van der Leyen's, and all of them. They now have a sense that, that they are close to a regime change. There are factions in the Russian military. There are factions in the Russian government. We're going to hear stories like this now for the next 16 years. Mm -hmm. We're going to get stories like this now. This is Ghost of Kiev times 1,000. I mean, I completely agree. I completely yeah, agree. These are my initial thoughts, Alexander. Yes. So, yes. Uh, what, what do you think about it? Well, I, I not only agree with it, I'm going to just quickly add that it's going to have a very bad effect, a very bad effect on Russia's friends. I mean, you know, the government in Beijing, the Politburo in Beijing, the government in India, the government in Turkey, all of these in Egypt, in Saudi Arabia, they're now going to be asking themselves, how stable is Russia? Can we really count on it? Can we really afford to make long-term deals, deals with this country? Because it looks as if the situation there is much more unstable than we've been led to believe, and that Putin is not in full control. And that is why it is absolutely urgent for him, as soon as possible, and you know, in a most decisive way, to bring this situation back under control. Now, I'm going to say a few things. First of all, um, I think we do need to make a point, which we've made before, many times on many programs. We've got lots of pushback about this. This is not some kind of complicated psyop. This is not 
Prigozhin and Putin and the Russians playing four-dimensional chess in some way, you know, trying to lure the Ukrainians in by suggesting that there is a weak point in some defense, uh, some defense position or something of that kind. This is nothing like that. Um, I mean, we have been saying pretty much from the outset that Prigozhin's relationship with the leaders of the Ministry of Defense has clearly turned rancid. We've also said that he has behaved throughout, going all the way back to February, in an incredibly insubordinate way that no military system should ever tolerate a commander, because that's what Prigozhin has presented himself as, who says the kind of things about his commanding officers that Prigozhin has been saying. And undoubtedly, for months now, Prigozhin has been going off the rails. It's been a huge mistake by the Russian military leadership not to uh, take steps to rein him in much sooner in my opinion. We, I mean, we said we said in a video, Alexander, two months ago, a month and a half, what did we say in a video? We got a lot of pushback. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but we got a lot of pushback where we said, Russia, now that after Moscow, Bakhmut, it's like a month ago, month and a half, now that it's all been, been settled, they need to deal with Prigozhin Absolutely. In, a, in, a, in a calm and Absolutely. stable way, but just deal with it and move on to the next phase. We said that in Absolutely. many videos that we did. Absolutely. 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 And they failed to do that. And now we see the mess that we have. And what has clearly happened is that uh, the Russian defense ministry is trying to rein in, has been trying to drain in Wagner, has been trying to get them to sign a contract with the Ministry of Defense, which would effectively have taken whatever control Prigozhin still has over Wagner from him. He absolutely categorically refused. The Russian Ministry of Defense pressed him. Putin apparently pressed him to agree. And instead he's muted. And this is exactly what he's done. He's, he himself up to this point, which he's talking all the time, and he might say something different, but up to this point, he's not saying that he's going to overthrow Putin. He says that he's going to clear out the defense ministry. He wants to go after Shoigu, and he wants to go after Gerasimov. You made this point in your uh, uh, video, which we posted on Locals, that he's got some kind of personal beef with Shoigu, which has clearly become an all-consuming obsession with him. I mean, the two men clearly hate each other. The fact that Shoigu never publicly responds to anything that uh, Prigozhin says about him, I suspect, by the way, has made Prigozhin even angrier. Anyway, he's now done this thing and he's moved troops across the border, as he called it. I mean, in, by the way, that was a shocking thing for many Russians when he referred to the, you know, the Donetsk border as if it was a state border. But he's moved troops, his troops, such troops as he has into Rostov. He's blockaded the headquarters there. The Russian uh, military has now been given orders to... Uh, stamp on what he has done and Putin has now given a speech and you're quite right in saying that the entire government, the entire political system is now rallying behind Putin and so incidentally from what I can see we're now starting to see um, evidence that says the civilian population, there's been pictures now appearing of civilians actually uh, um, shouting abuse and criticisms of Wagner fighters in um, Rostov. I've absolutely no doubt that the government will get bring this thing under control. But that doesn't in any way take away from the damage that has been done. And I have to also say, at the end of this, I really do wonder whether Wagner can be allowed to continue to function at all. I would not be surprised myself if it was broken up and, uh, you know, subdivided into other units, because clearly this has been a problem. Now, I'm going to add one last point, which is that over the last few months, the British media has been relentlessly plugging the story that there was going to be a coup in Russia, that Prigozhin was going to lead it, that there was going to be, uh, that this was going to be the beginning of the end of Russia, that this is going to create a crisis there. And now we see all those articles in the British media, they're starting to look prescient. And I have to say 
One of the things that has really shocked people in Russia is that one of his comments yesterday, Prigozhin completely went over to the Western side about the war. He said that it wasn't true that Donbass was being bombed, that Donetsk was being bombed. It wasn't true that Ukraine was about to launch an attack to try to capture Donbass in February 2022. Allegedly, the entire war was the work of Shoigu because Shoigu wants to become a marshal. I mean, a crazy idea, by the way. But um, all of this, I have to say, I don't personally know or believe this, but there are already people saying in Russia that it's not a coincidence that this has happened um, in the way that it has. The offensive itself isn't going well. Prigozhin is telling absolutely bizarre stories about this. He says that Ukraine is on gates of Tokmak, all kinds of things like that. He's making up that the Ukrainian offensive is going from strength to strength. It, 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 there are people in Russia who are now saying that the West is actually behind this move, that they managed to get to Prigozhin in some kind of way. And that they've turned him against um, against uh, um, the government, against Putin, against the Russian Ministry of Defence. I don't know that that is the case. All I can say again is that there are people in Russia who say it. There's talk about a stab in the back and that kind of language. And Prigozhin is not going to survive this. I mean, that that is absolutely clear to me. Yeah, he's, yeah Putin has no choice. He's going to have to deal with this in, in a very uh, se severe way. I I think the whole contract. Uh, issue. If, if that is indeed the case, yeah. then for me, it shows that Prigozhin, who's a very wealthy man, yeah. for him, it's not about money. He's very wealthy. Uh, it, it shows to me that he probably manipulated these Wagner uh, fighters so that he could. All right. I'm going to leave the Russian drama there and just talk for five minutes to finish the show off. Uh, I've had a nice, easy afternoon. <laughs> I haven't really done very much apart from introduce it, but it is what it is. We'll be back to normal next week, and uh, we'll see how this goes. The show was the show was at one point going to be about missing submarines and UFO disclosure, but uh, this is a little bit more current. I'll, I'll try and stay in the here and now, if if at all possible, uh, except when I'm rambling off in in one in philosophical directions but i've been busy on rumble this week I've, I've started to build an audience on rumble and on an app called call in which is a an audio conferencing app a podcasting app which has been bought by rumble and is going to be integrated into their system so there's now uh, a potential business model on Rumble, so I'm going to concentrate on there, on that particular set of platforms, Rumble, Locals, and Call-In for a little while, just to see how much I can build up subscriber base over there. So if you look for Free Association Radio Show, or I'm doing a show on there called An Evening of Metaphysical Speculation, you could look for that. I don't think there's anybody else doing a show called An Evening of Metaphysical Speculation on Rumble at the moment. There's a, there's a gaping hole in the, in the philosophical content over there. So I'm going to try and fill it with whatever version of philosophy and metaphysics starts to work over there. But I've got an audience on call-in. I've started to get an audience on Rumble. So I'm going to put some effort in and focus my time on, as I said, on Rumble, Locals, and Call-In. 
Locals has got a, a membership system, so you can support what I'm doing over there. If you if you've got five dollars spare, please feel free to to support what I'm doing over there. And uh, look out for the live streams. The live streams at the moment are my time about two o'clock, and then about eight o'clock my time. So there's five hours difference. Uh, I'll let you work that out. That's about was it about the second one's three o'clock in the afternoon? Two o'clock is about nine o'clock in the morning. So it's roughly, well, eight o'clock in the morning on the East Coast, I think it is roughly. So anyway, around about those times, I'm doing live streams. Sometimes it's a half an hour, sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's an hour and a half. It depends. If anybody comes in, it's a call-in show. So if you if you want to express your opinion about anything that's vaguely related to metaphysics or philosophy, you're very welcome over there. I'm trying to keep the politics to a minimum over there, but geopolitics is kind of related to metaphysics because it's all based on philosophical assumptions about how the world functions, uh, which is why it crept into this show. Uh, but I'm trying to keep the call in as as philosophical and as kind of conceptual and broad as I can. We've been talking about tarot. Somebody asked me last night about what I, what was my, my feelings about divination. So I was talking about tarot and astrology for 20 minutes. So again, it's a Q&A. It's a call-in. It's a slightly different format to this one, which is more of a kind of 20-20-20 uh, style. I'm trying to keep it open and just let it let it flow as much as possible on on rumble and, and calling. So we talk about whatever comes up. I've I've normally got one or two things to talk about. There's a guy called Brady who's been showing up, who brings what he wants to talk about. And then there's another guy who showed up yesterday. So we've got three people now who are contributing to the show. Hopefully it'll build up over there. And it'll turn into a round table uh, in a similar way to the round table I was doing on, on Rev Radio a couple of years ago. Uh, it's just a matter of finding the people and finding the time slots where they're available and then finding the audience. So there's three or four things need to fall into place. And then once I find the audience, hopefully I can generate an income from it and start buying cameras and better laptops and backup laptops and all of those things that I need to do it properly. The cameras are the next thing on the list. If I'm doing live streams, there's only so much live streaming you can do on a webcam. But uh, we'll get there. It's taken, it's taken three years to get to where, where I am now with decent audio and a decent laptop. It might take me another couple of years to get a couple of decent video cameras sorted out, but I'll get there. And uh, It'll, it'll, it'll move, it'll move. It'll move before I get the cameras, actually. This one feels like it's got momentum on it. Podbean's still got momentum. I'm doing less there now that I'm focusing on, on calling a little bit. And it's, it's more difficult to do Podbean without, a, without a, a mobile phone, and I don't have a mobile phone at the moment. I've only got the laptop. Podbean's much more focused on, on their apps. Whereas calling is, it looks okay and it functions okay, 
keeps it keeps giving me error messages. But apart from that, it functions okay on on my laptop in a browser. So that's where I'm going to spend a little bit more time. So it's it's calling.com, and the show's called an afternoon of metaphysical speculation or an evening of metaphysical speculation. Or you can just look for Dennis Barker and follow me on calling. And the same thing on, on Rumble and Free Association Radio Show on Locals. Uh, I, pre- I would appreciate your support over there. I'm on Odyssey. I'm on BitChute. I'm on YouTube for what that's worth, but you can't really talk on YouTube at the moment still. So I'm just going to focus on the places where I can I can say what I want to say. I don't normally tackle controversial topics, but I want to have the option of being able to. So YouTube pretty much rules itself out. Uh, Spotify at the moment is censoring the Robert Kennedy Jr. conversation that he had with Joe Rogan, so I'm not happy with Spotify either at the moment. That's that's it for now. Thanks for listening, and I'll, I'll see you next week. Barbara Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Hi, I'm Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney, and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen. Learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt. Are you interested in the paranormal? Murder mystery? Real natural law? Do you enjoy interviews with amazing guests? Then join Crypt Rick every Monday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Revolution Radio. Studio A, freedomslips.com. Crypt Rick's iPhone Thinking. Welcome to the Crypt. <laughs> 
What the heck is the Truth Jihad? Hey, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of Truth Jihad 